I don't know about you, but one of the things that I really struggle with is when I get labeled something or feel like, without anybody even saying anything, that I'm being labeled. And nobody likes that experience. We don't like it when it happens in our peer groups at school or at work or in our family or amongst our friends. And uh, we don't like it when it happens at church. And I'm sorry to say it. sometimes even at church, we have a tendency sometimes to label people, to make them feel different and kind of odd and feeling like they're outside of the box. I know I personally went through that as a young person. Uh, first in the culture, when my parents came back from the mission field, I never fit in. I wanted to fit in really bad, but because of just how I was made and how I was brought up and, and, and how I was dressed and whatnot, I, I could never fit in. And I remember the lonely feelings and the outside kind of feeling that I had. It felt like a reject and, and, and kind of an oddball. I mean, I didn't wear jeans until I was like 18 years old because I had to always wear dress pants. And unfortunately, dress pants I had to wear were never long enough, you know, high water kind of thing. And uh, I had freckles. I had uh, uh, really uh, butt teeth. I was uh, overweight. And uh, I was just prime, you know, I was a prime target for being made fun of. It was, you know, I grew up when long hair was really cool and in and my dad would give me like buzz cuts all the time and I figure I've used up all the hair potential I had when I was very young and so that's why there's none left now right and and I just remember feeling so isolated and I mean that was hard enough but what made it even worse was then to experience that happening at church in kind of a different way Uh, I grew up in a church where the preachers yelled a lot and it seemed like whenever they were preaching, they were yelling, and they were yelling against something or against someone. And I remember as a kid, it made me feel like God must be angry all the time. Because these men who are supposed to represent him, who always wore dark suits, always seemed to be very angry. And I also grew up in a church that taught that you could lose your salvation or your relationship uh, with God by sinning. And every time you sin, you would have to get saved again. And hearing that, I just thought, you know, it made me actually sin more thinking about it, right? And I just thought to myself, my goodness, I, I lose my salvation multiple times a day. And what if I die before I am quick enough to ask God to forgive me and come into my heart again? And it made me just very fearful of God. It made God seem very dark, very mean, very angry, and very far away from me. And what I start thinking to myself is that all these people that I'm sitting in this room with, these, these adults who go to church, they must be perfect people. They must not sin. I am so different from them because I was very aware of my sinfulness, especially when I became a teenager. I must be so different from them that there's very little hope for me. I hope I get into heaven. I don't think I'll ever be able to be like them or be like those preachers that sit up there and yell at everybody every weekend. And I felt like an outcast from God. I felt very rejected by God. I felt like I couldn't live up to God's standard. I wouldn't be able to actually please God. And maybe you feel the same way. 
may be the one thing you long for more than anything else is to belong, is to be accepted. But your peer group at school or at work or wherever it is, maybe even your family, has labeled you the black sheep, the outcast, the oddball, the nerd, the weirdo, the strange one. Maybe you feel like you're a misfit in the culture. And maybe you feel like that in the church as well. We all want to belong. You know, sometimes we want to belong so bad we pretend to be someone we're not in hopes that we'll be accepted. I see young people do that all the time because I did it too. Pretend to be someone I'm not. Make compromises in our life just so that we'll be accepted. And normally people don't really accept us. They just play with us at that point and then hurt us and burn us really bad. I see it happen in the church a lot. I I, I see people who try to pretend they got their act together because their assumption is I can't really be in church if I I at least don't look like I'm perfect. And my goodness, if you really knew what I struggle with, how I feel and what I'm thinking, you wouldn't want me to be part of your church. And one of the reasons why churches aren't growing and churches across America today are dying 80% are plateaued and dying is because the world around us doesn't think that they would be accepted in our midst because the world around us knows. They're really like aware of their issues and their problems and they believe that a church isn't a place where people with those kinds of issues will be accepted. That in order to be part of the church, first I gotta go clean myself up and then become part of the church. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe it just feels like so much pretense in, in your life. And, and you don't want to pretend to be part of the church. If you can't be accepted for who you are, then why be part of the church? Well, I got some good news for you this morning. And the good news is that within the Christmas story, there are some characters who were oddballs, who were misfits, who were rejects, who felt like outsiders. And God goes to great lengths to let them know that he loves them, that they matter to him. And that Christmas was as much about them as anyone else. Their stories found in Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke chapter 2. And it's the story of these characters known as the shepherds. Now in Jesus' day, shepherds were considered outcasts. Shepherds were despised. Shepherds were marginalized, minimalized. They were considered to be the strangers, the strange people of their day because they took care of sheep. And taking care of sheep was a dirty job and it rendered them unclean. So the culture looked down on them because of their low-level position. And the religious folks, the quote, church of the day, ostracized them or kept them away. A shepherd could not go to the temple and a shepherd could not attend synagogue, the church of the day. So here were these guys and their families that were raising sheep for the sacrifices that would be made at the temple for the sins of the people, the sins of the nation. But they themselves could never go to church or go to temple. It would be like the story of Cinderella. Remember her stepmother and her stepsisters? They don't like her, but they need her. Somebody's got to clean the house. Somebody's got to make the bed. Somebody's got to cook the food, right? And that's her responsibility. But... They don't love her, and they certainly keep her at arm's length. Well, this is the true story of the shepherds. They are needed, but they're not loved. They're needed, but they're not liked. They're a necessity, and yet they are despised. And I'm sure there are times in their lives when they wondered if God cared about them. 
I'm sure in the time that they were watching their sheep by day and by night, that they had to have wondered, you know, we provide the sacrifice for everyone else's sins. Who's going to provide the sacrifice for our sins? And the answer comes in this powerful story that we read about in Luke chapter 2. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there with me, or your iPads, or your iPhones, or your whatevers. Let me start reading at verse 8. He says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Can you imagine these guys? They're just out doing their job like they've done so many different nights. And all of a sudden, the spotlight comes on, and you're surrounded by these supernatural beings I mean, I would be scared spitless. Verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you bad news. Really bad news. Well, my Bible actually says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. That will bring great joy to all people. And I just love the combination of those words. I bring you good news. And good news always leads. God's good news always leads to great joy. And it's to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The long-awaited, promised Messiah that all people were, that all the Jews were looking forward to has now been born. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel is joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Those guys, man, their mouths must have just been dropping open. Their jaws must have been resting on their knees. I mean, this must have just been so overwhelming. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. It's like, wow, pinch me, this really happened. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They're the first evangelists. They tell everybody what they've seen. They tell everybody what they've heard. That's what it means to be an evangelist or witness. It's just to tell people what God has done in your life. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Astonished because they couldn't believe that God would talk to people like that. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now let me ask you a question. Why did God announce the birth of his son to shepherds out in the wilderness instead of at the temple to the high priests and the religious elite or in a synagogue, the church of the day, to a local rabbi and his congregation. Why does God announce it to the lowlifes, the misfits, the marginalized, the minimized, the rejects? Why does he do that? Because that's who God loves. God loves rejects. God loves those that other people label and put down. He came for those who feel like they are outcasts. He came for those who feel like they've been marginalized, that they don't matter. God wanted these shepherds to know that they mattered so much. 
And he had a wonderful message for them. He says, I want to transform your life with good news. In verse 10, he said, good news that leads to great joy. I mean, the gospel is the good news that God loves us. Have you noticed there's a lot of bad news in the world? It's not always bad news. We have whole cable television shows that are devoted to bad news. Anybody ever watch that show, Nancy Grace? Like she's a bad news woman of, of cable television. And you watch her show, it's always somebody died, something horrible. It's just like that's all that she can talk about. You know what I'm saying? I know there's a lot of bad news in the world. But can you imagine what would happen today if you took away the meaning of Christmas? If you took away the meaning of Easter? If you took away the gospel? Can you imagine living today? I can't. I can't imagine how depressing it would be without the good news of the gospel. Well, what was that good news that that God wanted to communicate to the shepherds and to all of us? Very simple. God said, I've provided a lamb of sacrifice just for you. If these shepherds ever wondered who was going to provide a sacrifice for them, God was saying, I am, I'm providing my own lamb, my son, for you and every person in the world, for every outcast, every reject, I am providing my lamb, my sacrifice. That's how much God loves us. He provides his own son to die for us. And anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will become a child of the living God, will have their heart and life transformed, will become an insider, not an outsider, will become part of God's adoptive family. And God so wants everyone, God so wants everyone to have that experience. What should the response be to that experience? What should the response be to God's wonderful and generous undeserved gift well i should praise god and accept his peace i should praise god and accept his peace there was a lot of praising going on in the in the uh, uh judean wilderness that night when the birth of jesus was announced it was a wonderful time it was a concert in the sky under the stars you know, they had a custom back in those days that whenever a baby boy was born, sorry for the chauvinism, ladies, but that Jesus changed that in his earthly ministry. But when little baby boys were born, the musicians in the village would come together and they would welcome the child with, a, you know, with some kind of musical piece that they would play. Well, there was nobody in Bethlehem. And there was not even enough room in the inn that night. There's nobody to give the Son of God a welcome in terms of musical instruments. So the choirs of heaven gathered under the starlit skies and they sang praise to God, glory to God in the highest heaven. You say, why are the angels praising God? Do you realize that this is the first time they've ever seen God? Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. They served God, they knew God, but they had never seen God. And now for the very first time, all of heaven, these supernatural beings, for the very first time, even the devil, for the very first time, sees God taking on form. And what form does God choose to take on? This creepy, crawly form called human beings. Becomes one of us. And the angels are rejoicing and they're praising God. And you and I ought to rejoice that God would love us so much that he would reduce himself 
to putting on skin like us. And we ought to accept his peace and grace that he offers to us. What should we do with that? Very simple. Go tell someone what he's done for you. That's what the shepherds did. They couldn't wait to go out and tell someone what God had done for them. It didn't matter who it was. God has offered a sacrifice for us. He's brought to us the attention and the the information about the Messiah who was born. God loves us. And you know what? He loves you too. See, that's the only reason why God doesn't take us home when we become Christians. I mean, it would be silly. It wouldn't make sense in our minds if we became a Christian. God just left us here, you know, for however long we're going to live just because. I mean, take us home, Lord. The only reason God leaves us here is because he wants us to make known to others here, near, and far what he has done in our hearts and lives now. That's the only reason we exist. It's not to become wealthy. It's not to become successful. It's not to have a big business. It's not to make a name for ourselves. Our reason for existing on this earth is to make him known to others. To take all the gifts and abilities that he's blessed us with and invest them into making his good news known to others so that they don't have to be outsiders. They don't have to live as rejects or misfits or the minimalized so that they can know they're embraced by God, his love and his grace in his arms. See, God understands the feeling of being rejected. God understands the feeling of being labeled because his son was Isaiah 53, 3, referring to Jesus, says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Twice says that Jesus was despised and he was rejected. He was labeled a drunkard and a glutton and a sinner and an imposter and a loser. So God understands labels. He knows what it's like to be kept out of the church. And God says, I don't don't want anybody to feel like they're an outsider. I don't want anybody to feel like they're a loser, an outcast, or a reject. So I have come very personally in the form of my son to make known that I love everyone. And everyone is welcome into my family. And as the Cuppas Church, as a church, you and I are responsible on this earth to represent Christ to the world around us. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We're one part of the vast body of Christ. And I can't speak for any other part of that body, but I can only speak for this part of the body. And what I want to say is that in this Christmas season, you and I have got to make sure that we don't make people feel like outsiders, outcasts, rejects. Nobody should have to pretend in order to be a part of this body of believers. It does not mean that we accept sin. And I know people use this statement so much it becomes trite and and ineffective in our minds, but it is still nonetheless true. We don't accept sin per se, but we do want to accept the sinner because every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. And no one should be made to feel like they're an outsider. But let me ask you this question. Do you think people feel labeled here? Do you think people feel like they can be themselves here and be loved in spite of 
their past or in spite of how they may appear or look or feel? Are we that kind of church? I mean, what would you do right now if you knew that sitting next to you was a thief? How would that make you feel? By the way, we all practice thievery in different ways, right? Pelagiarism is a form of thievery. Cheating on your taxes is a form of thievery. Committing adultery is a form of thievery. Not giving your tithes to God is a form of thievery. Oh, there are probably a lot more thieves here than we realize. But do we label people as thieves? How, how would you feel about someone if you knew that about them, that they, were, they, they cheated or were dishonest or had cheated or had been dishonest? How about somebody who's had an abortion? Would they be welcomed here if they had had an abortion? What would you and I think about them? They're already dealing with enough guilt and shame. Would we add more to that? Or would we let them know that God is a forgiving God? And would they experience love from us? If you're here and you've had an abortion, do you feel like you have to cover it up and pretend? In case somebody were to find out, even though it's in your past, and you might be looked down upon? What if it's somebody who's struggling with, feeling, with, uh, with feelings of being gay? Would they be welcomed here if they're struggling with feelings of being a homosexual? Would they be accepted? Could they feel like they were, you know, part of us? What if a, what if, what if a, a same-sex couple showed up to this church? What, what would we do? How would we treat them if they showed up holding hands or sat amongst us? I'm not saying I would in any way accept that lifestyle, but would they be welcome to hear and experience God's message and God's love and God's grace through us? How about somebody who has been or is struggling with alcoholism, an alcoholic? Would an alcoholic feel welcomed here? Would an alcoholic feel comfortable here? Or would we push them over to our recovery ministry on Tuesday nights and say, get sobered up on Tuesday and then we'll feel comfortable with you being here on Sunday. How about somebody who's been divorced? Would a divorced person feel welcomed here? Many people who are part of the Compass Church have been divorced. You know, sometimes it's a result of the world we live in and People hurt us. We can't stay in our marriage. Sometimes we get divorced and it's just a very selfish thing. We discard our family. But it's done. It's over with. Are we going to label them? Are we going to reject them? Or are we going to show them God's grace and accept them? You know, sometimes we confuse certain things in people's lives as a sin. Or that they must be something wrong with them. How about somebody with body art? How would we feel about them? They've got the tattoos, the full sleeve, the half sleeve, going up the neck, around the head. They've got piercings, their nose, their lips, and many other different places. You know, a lot of times something like that shows up, and right away, a lot of us who've been raised, you know, in a certain way, immediately judge them and immediately assume the worst about them. It doesn't mean anything bad about them at all. But do you find yourself labeling people by... The way they look or don't look by the way they dress or don't dress. How about the ex-con, the person who's served time in prison? Would that person be welcomed here? 
or would we get really uncomfortable about them if an ex-con were to show up and we knew that about them? How about the fornicator? Say, what is a fornicator? Oh, the fornicator is someone who has sex before they get married. There are a lot of fornicators that are part of the Compass Church. There are a lot of people, sexual sin is, is rampant, is prevalent today. Let's not pretend that, you know, that we're all perfect and it doesn't happen in our lives. Let's pray that we can, you know, repent of it, become obedient to God, and become sexually pure. But if a person were to walk in and they're sexing around, they're hooking up, are they going to feel like they're rejected? That like they, they can't, they're unworthy of God's grace on God's goodness? How about the prostitute? A person who makes a living earning money by having sex. Because that's the way they make ends meet if they're maybe a single mom or or maybe if they're facing hard times and that's how they go about it. Or maybe that's, you know, they were abused when they were a child or they were mistreated in some way and that's the lifestyle they have. Would a prostitute feel welcome here? How about a liberal Democrat? <laughs> you know, we're a pretty conservative group. What if a known liberal Democrat showed up? Maybe that's where we draw the line, right? <laughs> Prostitutes okay, but we're not going to go down that road. Seriously, people with opposing different political views. We may not agree on the issues. We may have, you know, we, we may come to loggerheads about politics, but would that person be welcomed here? Would they be accepted here? Could we agree to disagree? Or do we judge them and condemn them for their view? How about the harsh legalist, the Pharisee? The one who sees life, you know, totally black and white. And, you know, I should have a suit coat on every weekend. And I should always wear a dark tie. And I should always be going verse by verse through some book explaining the Greek and the Hebrew. And there's only a certain way to do church. And nobody should bring in their bottles and their coffees in the building and... You know, we should have Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning and revival meetings every other month. And you're judged by how long your hair is. Your hair needs to be above your ears. You shouldn't have facial hair. I'm already in trouble with the facial hair in some churches. Would that person be welcome here who just has a different perspective on how it should look and how it should feel? I wish I could go around right now with a microphone and talk to some of you who are standing there like the person who's holding up the sign that says gay or the person who's holding up the sign that says fornicator or thief or abortion. I mean, that, some of that's uncomfortable stuff. And these are actors who are holding this up for us, volunteers. And, and I'm sure if I were out there, I'd kind of want a little disclaimer that says, not really me. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want somebody to think that I'm one of these. Julie's not a prostitute. I mean, oh my goodness, nobody else would hold that sign up today. (laughs) Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? We don't want anybody to see that or assume that about us. But honestly, we are all labeled people. The Bible says all of us are sinners. All right, let's thank our actors for standing up. Thank you, guys. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. In fact, you know, one of these weekends, I think I'm just going to, Julie, I just want to post signs throughout the entire worship center, and I'm going to have people sit according to sins that, that you have struggled with in your life. That'll be a fun Sunday, won't it? 
I won't do that. But seriously, we're all sinners. So why, why label anybody? See, God wants us to look past the labels, doesn't he? He wants us to look into the person's heart. And he wants us to let that person know that God loves them by loving that person ourselves and showing them God's grace and inviting them to be part of God's kingdom. And you know, some people don't make that decision right away. For some people, it takes time in order to arrive at that place. And during that time, they need to know that we love them. Doesn't mean I have to approve of your sin. Doesn't mean I have to accept your sin. And if that's what you're insisting on, then yeah, then this isn't the right place. Because the Bible does make it clear there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. But I know sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. And in the in-between time, this ought to be a place where you feel loved and where you as a person feel accepted. And even if you never, never accept Christ in your life, that you can always walk away and say, I know that place is a loving place. Because they showed me respect and they loved me. I mean, that's what Christmas is ultimately all about. See, the only, the only label that really ultimately matters, the one that I want to be known by, the one I want to wear, just simply says, child of God. That's the bottom line. And God says he wants us to make known to everyone we come in contact with the opportunity that they have, the link that God has gone to for them to become and to know, be known as a child of of the living God. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who says, Pastor, I'm the reject. I'm the outsider you've been talking about. And I just didn't think that God could possibly love me or want me. But I see today that he does. And I want to be part of his family. Then right now, right where you are, why not put your faith in Jesus Christ? I want you to imagine for a moment that your hand represents your faith. You've been placing it in the wrong place. I want you to put it in Christ. Not in the church. Not in me. But in Christ. If you're ready to do that with me today. With our heads bowed. Take that hand symbolically right now. Would you please. And just raise it up in the air toward heaven. As though you're placing it in God's hands. And pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart. God, I'm going to do my best to follow you from now on. I admit I'm not perfect. And I thank you for loving me. And I ask for your help. You can put your hand down. If you prayed that prayer today, listen carefully to me. If you meant it with your heart, Christ has come into your life. You cannot lose your salvation. When I was taught that as a kid, it was wrong biblical teaching. Now, I can walk away from God and become estranged to Him. But be careful. The Bible says God chastises those whom He loves. He'll bring you back even if He has to take you to the woodshed to do it. Because He loves you like a parent would love a child. But if you meant that with all your heart, there's going to be some fruit now because He's in your life. And if you meant that when the service is over, I ask you to come to the guest center and tell me you prayed that prayer so I can pray with you and encourage you. Lord, for the rest of us today, I ask you to forgive me and forgive us for those times that we've labeled and judged people. When we have gotten on our high horse and assumed things about others that we dare not assume. Father, we are all sinners. All of us are. 
saved by the pure and matchless grace of God. Lord, I pray, help us to reach out to people and see past their issues and see their hearts and love them into your kingdom. And Lord, those times when we have to say no to people, when we have to let them know that their habits, their sin is, is not acceptable to you. And that we cannot compromise. I pray, oh God, we could do it in such a, a grace-filled, compassionate way that that person will know that we still love them. And I pray, oh God, that in time they'll come to know you by faith. Lord, I thank you so much for Christmas. It is the beginning of the good news that in God's eyes, there are no outsiders. Thank you for that holy night when your precious son was born. In Jesus' name.